You know, some of the times the questions that I get often uh, have to do with with that. What, what does the church think about the Holy Spirit? What does the church think about prayer? What does the church think about the Bible? Is it real? Can it be trusted? Some of these questions are questions that we often hear, and, and I'm telling you that because there might be questions that you have, and if so, I want to make sure to invite you next week on Friday night and Saturday, we're having our foundations classes where we, where we answer many of those questions, and we talk through some of these things. If, even if you're looking at, at what it looks like to be a member here at the chapel, this, this class is a next step for you. I want to encourage you to be a part of it next week. It's just Friday night and Saturday morning. You can text the word foundations. You can go to the website, get signed up for that. Love to have you be a part of that with us next week at our Sandusky campus. All are invited, and it's always a great time being together. You know, this morning, though, we are wrapping up our series, Undaunted. Next week, we kick off a brand new series where we're going to be looking at the first, there are all five chapters of 1 John together, but, but today we, we're button things up. We wrap up Undaunted, and so as I've gotten the opportunity to, to wrap this up, I'm, I'm thinking about this word undaunted, and if it really means that we won't be intimidated by difficulty, if that's what undaunted means, I'm not sure it's a word that I would probably typically use to describe myself. I, I wonder if you're like me, in my younger years, I was much more undaunted, I think, than I am now. And maybe that's because when, as we get older, we carry some of the hurts with us, some of the disappointments with us that we felt when we were younger. And so as we carry those into our adult life, we begin to put up walls and we begin to put up barriers to help protect us from those things. Or maybe as I've gotten older, I have a better ability to recognize my limitations I know what I'm capable of, what I'm not capable of. Maybe I have the ability to maybe look down the road a little further and see potential dangers that I couldn't see when I was younger. Maybe that's called wisdom. Whatever it's called, it's, called me, it's caused me to, to wrestle with this. Am I undaunted, particularly when I'm looking at my relationship with Jesus and following him with my life, am I undaunted? Because what if God asks me to do something that scares me? Or what if God asks me to do something I know I'm not capable of? What if God asks me to be someone that I'm not? What then? It scares me. And let's be honest, it's not unlike God to ask this of us. We see all throughout Scripture the history of God asking people like us to do incredible things. I mean, for instance, he asked Moses, a slave, to save uh, our shepherd and a murderer to lead the nation of Israel. He asked David, the last born shepherd boy, to be a great king. He asked Esther, a slave girl, to save her people from a massacre. Matthew, a tax collector, to be an apostle. Peter, a fisherman, to lead the early church and write part of the New Testament. He asked Mary, a peasant girl, to be the mother of the Savior of the world. I mean, this, 
This idea scares me a little, and I wonder if it scares you, because the bottom line for today, if you walk out of here with nothing, remember this this morning, that God will ask the most unlikely people to do great things. He asks, he asks things of people who don't have what it takes to do things they could never do to show off who he is and what he's capable of doing. And God has accomplished and will continue to accomplish incredible things with the most unlikely people. And we're going to see this today as we take a closer look at the life of a young farmer named Gideon. And, and as, we, as we dive into this, we're going to be in Judges chapter 6. If you have your Bibles or your smartphones, I'm going to put up some scripture on the screen for you as well. But let, let me sum up what's happening here before we jump in. We, we see a glimpse of, of the Israelites and of, of Gideon. And they have disobeyed God. They've begun to worship idols and they've begun to worship other gods other than the God. And as a result of this, they, there's some consequences to pay. And so they, there's a tribe of, of people called the Midianites. These Midianites are continually coming in and they're oppressing the Israelites. They're destroying their property. They're taking their food. They're, they're ravaging everything that the Israelites have. In fact, it's gotten to the point where the Israelites have no food. They're beginning to starve. They're literally dying because the Midianites are taking all of their food. And this is affecting Gideon personally because he's a farmer. Gideon's responsibility is to help feed the people of Israel, and yet all the food continues to get taken. And so, just like us, when we get to this place where we're at the end of our rope, the bottom of our barrel, they do the only thing that they know how to do at this point. They cry out to God. They say, God, help us. Save us. Do something, Lord. And so God steps in, and this is where I want to pick up the story today. It's found in Judges chapter 6, and it starts like this. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiza. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, I stop here for just a moment because there's a couple of things happening that, that I find interesting and almost humorous. I mean, here we, we see this scene, picture this, an angel of the Lord sitting beneath a tree, relaxing, watching Gideon as he's working. And as Gideon's working, this could not have been an easy task. Because Gideon was threshing wheat in the bottom of a wine press. Now, let me tell you, if you've never threshed wheat before, I've not. But I, I imagine it to be difficult because in order to thresh wheat, what they would do is they would take the wheat and they would literally throw it into the air. It needed wind because the wind would take the lighter shell and blow it away, called the chaff. Then the clean wheat that was left the heavier wheat would fall to the ground to be used. Then they could clean that up. So it needed wind. It needed airflow to do this. Gideon's at the bottom of a wine press. There's no wind. I'm not even sure how he could accomplish this. But it was his option. He had to do it there. because he was, 
He was afraid if he was seen. If the Midianites saw him doing this, they would come and they would take it from him. They were stealing their food, so he had to hide. He had to keep it a secret. And, and, and that is when the angel appeared to him and said these words, Mighty hero, the angel addressed Gideon. I mean, this, he's got to be kidding. Hey, Gideon isn't a hero. He isn't mighty, that's for sure. He's a farmer. And he's a farmer who's hiding from the Midianites because he's afraid of getting his food taken away. And yet we know this. We know this, that God calls the unlikely. Because don't forget our bottom line today, that God asks the most unlikely people to do great things. And later we're going to find out what it is that God asked Gideon to do. But I just can't get over this one fact. I can't get over the fact that God proclaimed over this fearful farmer that he is a mighty hero. This is, this is overwhelming to me. It's overwhelming because, listen, when God calls the unlikely, it, when God calls the unlikely, he doesn't call him what he is. He calls him what he will be. This is the character trait of God that should make us fly out of our seats because God doesn't start with who we are or what we've done. God starts with what he intends to make us. This is such a critical distinction. He doesn't award us with courage for being undaunted. He awards us with courage to be undaunted. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm going to try not to get emotional thinking through this with you, but when I look at when I look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. We are his beloved. We are his sons. We are his daughters. Now, I, I have a perfect picture of this in my life because I have two daughters. And when I see these two daughters, I don't see them for their faults. I don't see their mistakes I see them and I look at them and imagine what they are going to be someday. I, I, I see their hearts. I see their care. I see their intelligence and their, their passion. And even though they're just teenage girls now, I can't wait to see who they become someday. Strong, passionate women who love the Lord and are going to do great things for him. That's what God feels for us. And he proves this to us by his love. In fact, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us when? While we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, God said to you, I love you and you're mine. While Gideon was still just a farmer, God says to him, no, 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 you are a mighty warrior. I'm dwelling on this thought a little longer because there's something important that happens when God calls the unlikely that we have to be aware of. When God calls the unlikely, this is the perfect time that our enemy likes to speak up. Satan loves for his voice to be heard in these moments too. 
The only difference is, is that when our enemy speaks up, he reminds us of who we are and what we've done. It's our enemy that says things like, you're a nobody. You're a screw up. You, 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 you look at all the things you've done and you've failed at. You've been a disappointment. You, you haven't accomplished anything. Do you honestly think that God is going to use you to do anything great? That is the voice of our enemy because, listen, Satan reminds us of who we are and what we have done. God reminds us of who we will be and what we will do. And this is an important distinction for us to know as we learn to listen to decipher the voice of the Lord. It's a lot different than the voice of our enemy. But I want to I move on this morning because when God calls the unlikely, he does something else. God also gives assurance to the unlikely. Listen to how the, how the story goes next. It says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go with strength you have. Rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. You, you hear the voice of the enemy in Gideon. I'm weak. I am the least. How can I accomplish this? But then God's voice shows back up and says, no, 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 no. Gideon, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. This assurance that God gives Gideon, he says, I will be with you. I wonder, is that enough? Is the assurance that, that God is with you, is that enough? Is it enough to give you the assurance you need to move forward in whatever task you've been given? I'm asking myself the same question because it should be. His presence should be enough. Regardless of what I've been asked to do, the knowledge that God is with me should make me undaunted in whatever task I'm given. So I wonder why it doesn't oftentimes. So I ask, I ask myself the question, maybe, do I really believe it? Do I really believe that the Lord's with me? Or, or maybe I wonder, do I doubt his strength? Do I doubt his, his power? Do I doubt that, that God really loves me? I, I, in fact, I wonder if it's why in the book of Mark, this father who asked Jesus to heal his demon-possessed son, shouts out to Jesus, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I, I wonder if this is what Gideon is feeling in this moment too. Because he questions God in this moment. In fact, in fact, he asks God for more proof of his call. He says, God, I need more. I know you said you'll be with me, but I need more proof. And so God patiently gives Gideon more proof, not just once, but twice. I'm not going to go into that this morning because we can go down a whole rabbit trail, but I want to encourage you this week in our Beyond the Weekend devotionals that get sent out to your emails, I address this, this a little bit further. So check those out this week. 
I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in the story now. Gideon, he gathers 32,000 Israelite troops. And, and he gathers them up and, and he faces a Midianite army, which sits at about 135,000 troops. How do you like those odds? 32,000 against 135,000. I'm thinking, uh, those aren't good odds. Gideon is outnumbered from the beginning. In fact, the Bible describes them like the Midianites as like swarm of locusts. This is what he's facing. And when I'm thinking to myself, oh, geez, I'm already outnumbered. I'm going to need some help here. Then God speaks back up and says this surprising thing to Gideon. He says, guess what? You have too many warriors with you. Tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Now, I, I mean, you got to be kidding, right? So now we have 10,000 troops to face 135,000 Midianite soldiers. If things, things couldn't get any worse... And now God's taking more troops from us. This is not how I would operate if I was God. If I was God, I would give Gideon more troops. I would, in fact, I would give him so many troops that, that he would be able to just engulf the Midianites. I would overwhelm them. I would give him as many troops as he needed. That would be me if I was God. Give him more. And yet God goes, no, 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 you have too many. I'm going to take some away. And then when it doesn't get any worse, then we see this. God told Gideon, guess what? Still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. So Gideon's obedient. And he does this. He leads his guys down to the spring and they drink. He divides them into two groups. The, the men who drank using their hands and the men who drank not using their hands. I know it's a strange test. I don't, I don't know. But he, he divides them and he finds that 300 men drank using their hands and the rest did not. So he pulls that group aside and then the Lord speaks back up and says, all right, Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. Now, what are you thinking if you're Gideon? How do you like them odds? 135,000 Midianite soldiers to face 300 Israelite farmers and peasants. All I can ask is why. Why, why would God do this? Why would he do something so crazy as this? I think it's because of this. God is glorified through the unlikely. Let me explain. I, I have a sinful nature. You have a sinful nature. That nature is prideful. I, 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 and that prideful nature, I want glory. I want recognition. I want people to say, wow. Look at what he did. I want to be able to say, look at what I've done. Check me out. 
through my power, through my wisdom, through my strength, look at what I have accomplished. Give me the glory. That's what I want. And God knows this. So he tells Gideon right from the beginning. He stops him and he says, no, you have too many warriors because if I let all of you fight the Midianites, if I give themselves to me, then the Israelites will boast to me that they've saved themselves from their own strength. God knows this about us, but he will receive glory through the unlikely. There can be no other way. It's not unlike God to ask the most unlikely people to do extraordinary things because when he does this, when we are put in those situations, we can never ever say, look at what I have done. We can only say, no, no, no. Look at my God. Look at what he has done. Look at what he has accomplished. All glory to him. All praise to him for what he has done. This should always and only be our response. And it was Gideon's. Now, I'm not going to spoil the ending for you because I want you to read it. But I bet you can imagine the Israelites were victorious. In fact, not a single one lost their life. In fact, it says not a single one even had to draw their sword to defeat them. It was just as God said. And in this moment, there's two different responses that take place here. Listen to the Israelites' response. They said to Gideon, be our ruler. They want Gideon to have the glory. You and your son and your grandson, you be our rulers, for you have rescued us from Midian. Wow, Gideon. But listen to Gideon's response. He knows who gets the glory, and he says, no, 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 I will not rule over you, nor will my son. The Lord will rule over you. Gideon never lost sight of the importance for both a nation and an individual to put God first and always give him glory for all that takes place. Gideon understood this and it is something we need to understand in our lives. When you experience something good in your life, a job promotion, a, a, a nice house, your family's doing well, you've had an accomplishment, you've been successful, whatever that may be in your life, never ever say, look at what I have done here. It was through my hard work, it was through my perseverance, it was through all that I did to accomplish this. No, that'll be the wrong path to take. Always and only in those moments say, nope, God, look at what you have done. May you be glorified through this. Praise be to you for what you have accomplished in my life. God calls the unlikely, not for who they are, but for who they will be. And then he gives assurance to the unlikely that his presence will be with them, that I will be with you. And he does this so that he can receive glory. That is how it should always be. As we close this series, Undaunted, I think back over the last three weeks. And it makes me wonder these questions. It makes me wonder in what ways will you be undaunted 
just as Zacchaeus was undaunted in his pursuit of Jesus. It makes me wonder, in what ways will you be undaunted in your serving, like Dorcas was? In what ways will you be undaunted in your leadership, like Deborah? And today I wonder, in what ways will you be undaunted by trusting the Lord and stepping out of fear into faith, just as that weak farmer, no, no, just as the mighty hero Gideon did. Because remember, God asked the most unlikely people to do great things. And I wonder, is this you? Are you the unlikely person God is going to ask to do great things? Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for the privilege of being here this morning and being with you. I thank you for that promise of your presence to be with us. For it is good to be in your presence. I thank you for the promises of, of your strength or the challenges of, of, of what you do so differently than I. When I, when I think I would give more, you, you give less. And when I think I would go this way, you, you go that way. Help us to pay attention to that, Lord to not confine you into our boxes, into our thoughts of who you should be and how you should do things. Lord, we love you, and to you be all glory and honor in our lives in this church. It's in your name I pray this. Amen.